Empire. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question. Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today we have with us an old friend, Paul Schwartz, uh, former uh, columnist for the now-defunct Montgomery County Sentinel and author of a new book called Trump, The Shell Game, The Conning of America, <laughs> which we'll talk about the title. When we come back, we'll have with us Paul Schwartz. Hi, and we're back. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. With us today is author Paul Schwartz. And Paul, I'm going to start right away with uh, Trump, The Shell Game, uh, The Conning of America. You're not pulling any punches. Uh, what, what's, the, what, what's the story behind the book? Well, the approach I took is that I'm a former federal official, 37-year career, and I wanted to apply that experience specifically as a former Fed to the total disregard, the disrespect, the ignorance that the uh, Trump administration shows towards the federal government, the federal institutions, the Constitution, uh, the, the uh, regulations, the protocols, all of that. You and I, Brian, we've spoken in the past about uh, like the border uh, security, how drugs are not smuggled between the ports of entry, but through the ports of entry and how right. the wall wouldn't prevent that. So that's, that's an, an issue that's ongoing. Tariffs is an issue that we spoke about where he still right. doesn't get it, that it's the uh, consumer who ultimately pays the tariff uh, not the Chinese government, but it goes beyond that. It's things like even the appropriations process, all right? If you remember, he uh, used the uh, National Emergencies Act of 1976 to declare an emergency to circumvent the appropriations process to move money in the Department of Defense to pay for his wall, which clearly was not a, a, an immediate emergency. So what I tried to do in my columns, this is a, a basically a compilation of the columns that I put together from the inauguration. Remember, we sat there at the inauguration through yeah. the impeachment and capture all of these issues regarding his attack on the institutions of the government, the constitution, et cetera. And it's still going on. What I captured in the book is like right on the money because even today with what happened with, with Farragut Square, we walk past that every time we go to the White House. And what he used, to, to, he used the excuse about looting, those people that they moved aside so he can have that photo op in front of the church, they were not uh, looting. They were, not, they were practicing the First Amendment right. Yeah, so that's, that's what I tried to capture, is how he's attacked it through the columns. So it's a, almost like a time capsule, starting from that inauguration all the way through impeachment. What do you think is the biggest con the Don has conned? Well, there's so many. Uh, What's the biggest? Well, the, the biggest is that he's for you. 
he's for the American people, which he's not. He's for I, his, his. I disagree. His, you know what I think his biggest con is? Conning people into thinking that he has any empathy because he has none. Well, if he's been a failure at, at that con because I think that has fought <laughs> with the coronavirus, that is fine. That was that con. I, and, but I think you're right. He only cares about himself. Right. How, how difficult was it for you? I mean, you had some really good questions, too. And I remember one in the East Room and one, a couple in the briefing room where you just nailed it. And um, how difficult was it for you to sit back and, and listen to this crap? It, it is difficult. It's very difficult. Uh, just like the, the question that I have that I really want to pose to him now, the next chance I get is he talks about Obamagate. Remember, he was oh, during the impeachment, he was saying that Article 2 of the Constitution gives him the authority to do anything he wants. Well, well, if that's the case, then how can you be talking about anything Obama did or didn't do when Obama would have had the same Article 2 authorization? So you know what gets me the most? It's the hypocrisy. So that's a question I really want to ask, you know? Well, how, so how would you phrase it? Mr. Well, I, I come right out and ask it. I say, you know, when he when uh, the issue about Obama again, when he accuses Obama of of spying on his his thing, I would ask him, Mr. President, you indicated that Article Two gives you the authority to anything you want. Uh, why doesn't that also uh, give that authority to a previous president? You know, no, no. Say the magic name. Say Barack Obama. Why? <laughs> That, that one it would apply to the other 44 presidents. It wouldn't be even just Obama. It could be I, any of them. You spent some time in that briefing room, as we all have. Um, you haven't been in the briefing room recently. Of course, not many of us have. But watching it, what's the biggest difference between Kaylee McEnany and, and uh, uh, say, Sarah Sanders in your you mind? Know what? It, it, the, there isn't really much of a difference because they got their talking points and regardless of what the question is that's posed, they throw out the talking points even though it doesn't answer the question. So that's been consistent from Sean Spicer through all of them. The only one who didn't do that was Grisham because she didn't have any press briefings. <laughs> yeah. so she's the only one who didn't do it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, as far as McEnany, you know what the, the thing for me is it's old. I sit and I watch these press briefings now and what used to get me really upset with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, now it's just old stuff. You don't even expect to get a straight answer out of them anymore. Right. And she doesn't give any straight answers. Uh, she doesn't give any answers. I, and I maintain it's easier for her to, there are some people who have said how you know, great she is, the best, and I think she's the worst, but she's been operating in a, in a limited capacity where there's only 14 people in the room Right, Sarah and and, and uh, um, Sean were operating in a room that oftentimes had 100, 120 people in it. Full house, right. And so the pushback from the press was stronger, louder, more vociferous. It's become tepid and, uh, and actually horrid with right. just 14 people in there. I mean, a, a few of them get in some good questions. Acosta does and yeah. uh, John Carl tries and even... Uh, uh, Caitlin Collins is, throws a good one, and, and uh, Kristen Welker I, I like a lot. I, I like, uh, but it is limited, right? It's only a handful of people, and even like yesterday, how many questions did he take? Like, well, he, did, a handful. he didn't take any from me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't take, and she didn't take any from me. I just told her to wear a mask. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the question I have is, how do you rate the press in covering this president? 
it, it's frustrating because uh, they'll ask a good question, he or she will avoid the answer, and then they don't come back with the follow-up that really <laughs> exposes the hypocrisy of the first answer. And See, that and gets I me think that goes back to the number of people in that room. When you have a larger number of people in that room, you're going to have some people who are going to speak up and push back. But in the current environment, I don't think it's possible because there's so many issues to cover. Right. That's a little time. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time with you, and neither does she. She's very good at, at making a 10-minute statement, letting everyone ask one quick question, and then having a five-minute statement, dropping the mic and walking out as if she's, and you know. getting out before they, they ask the tougher question. Yeah. Well, I mean, a great example is with the, the pandemic. He as he does, he blames every, uh, everyone else. He blames the WHO, he blames China for not getting them the information they needed uh, back in January. Otherwise, they would have acted differently. Well, the question is, that was then. This it's is not about now, July. Yeah. That would be my follow-up question. What, yeah. what, with the information you do have now that you didn't, that you say you didn't have in January, which is bullshit anyway. But you say you didn't have in January. Now you're you're doing the same thing. You're ignoring it and like and waiting for it to go away. And that's the same approach you took in January. You're doing the same thing in July. Right. And he and he said like magic, it'll go away. <laughs> Right. And there's no, you know, I was talking to Joe Lockhart and uh, Mike McCurry, former press secretaries, and one of the things they said is that what frustrated them the most was when a reporter would follow up, and then it would, you would see, you could feel it in the room, like the triangulation. One reporter would follow up, that would bring uh, a question from another reporter to follow up, and then another, and then they would kind of corner him. And right. that was, but you cannot do that now. Or I'll, I'll say this too, I think there's a, a lack of institutional knowledge in that briefing room and a lot of the young reporters don't know how to do it. That is exactly right. And that's what I tried to capture in the book to utilize that experience as a Fed to uh, pinpoint where he's off in terms of how he's uh, running the federal government. That's exactly the point. I find, I agree with you 100%. They don't have the, the, uh, the corporate knowledge to know when, when to go after him on things, when he's really skirting the key issues, you know? Uh, well, so they try, but, and, and you know what? The other thing that gets me is that I don't think it's gonna change for the longest time, because no. I think on both sides, on the White House side, they prefer to have a smaller press yeah. audience. And on the other side, those people in there who get their seats, they're happy with it being only uh, five people, you know? Them. Yeah. They, they, it was tougher for them when there were 150 people right. in there. And, and, and people who wouldn't get called on or wouldn't uh, follow up now get a chance to ask a question. So why would they want more people in there? That's right. They're yeah. happy being a, a closed group. Yeah. So that's why I don't expect to be back there in a while. I did put in, I don't know if I'll get a seat, but Barr is going to uh, supposedly, if he shows up, testify before uh, Congress on the 28th. So I put, and I think it's the Judiciary Committee, the one Jamie Raskin is on. So I put in a request for a seat there. I haven't been back since the, the virus because I'm in that group where I'm high risk. So I, didn't, I don't want to take a chance, but I figure I need to get out. So I figured the bar hearing might be a good one. Well, I've limited, limited myself to try and, you know, because I don't want people, and I don't want to get it, you know, and I don't want to expose other people, and I want to make a sacrifice like everybody else, but 
man, I have to be there to write a column. I've got to be there once a week. And right. so I am and uh, let the chips fall where they may as far as pissing people off. I don't really care. But it's uh, frustrating to me to see the, uh, the White House take advantage of it and reporters fall sucker or prey to it. Right. I, I, and I, you know, you haven't been there and there are a lot of people that have And I got news for you. If they suddenly miraculously relaxed the standards today, I think a lot of people just wouldn't come back because they're tired of dealing with this administration. They're going to okay. hold up. I mean, the bullshit hasn't changed. You know, it's the same <laughs> no. bullshit. No. I do have to point out that, Brian, that you've got rid of your, your uh, beard and your uh, goatee, and I grew it. So now if you want to know where it went, it ended up on my face somehow. I don't know. Mine, mine started turning gray, so I was like, fuck it. I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> I've been home so much that I, this was like an activity. Just watching it grow was an activity. <laughs> well, uh, what would you, if, if you had, uh, where would you point to in your book that you think is the most important revelation in the book? Well, the, the thing that I mentioned before about the appropriations, I thought was, was the essence of everything. He utilized that uh, 1976 law, the National Emergencies Act, to, and, uh, to undercut or to circumvent the, uh, the appropriation process. And recently there was a, uh, an appeals court ruling that ruled basically in, in agreement with what I said. So I thought that was the essence. But there are other things. Uh, there, one of the columns in it, for example, is, are you better off today? Right. Remember back in 1980 uh, when Reagan said that the, the closing statement in the uh, it was the only debate. It was uh, October, I think, 28th, just before the election. And he said, look, here's the question to ask yourself. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? If you think you are, vote for Carter. If you, if you don't, then vote for me. And he won the election with that. And that was a classic line. And I think it applies more so today than ever before, because you have to ask yourself, in terms of North Korea, are we better off today than we were before? In terms of Iran, are we better off today than we were when we had inspectors on the premises? Is Israel, I get that a lot, you know, people voted for him because- He loves Israel. Terms, what's that? He loves Israel, don't you yeah. know that? Yes, but the real question is, is Israel better off today than they were four years ago? And I sure. can argue that they are not, you know? The hate crimes, uh, this is a great statistic uh, to remember. During the 2016 campaign, every county that held a Trump rally has seen an increase in hate crimes by a percentage of 226%. Damn. Tell me we are better off today than we were four years ago. The trade war that we had with, with China, are the soybeans farm, farmers, better off today than we were uh, four years ago. The, the voting rights, universal health coverage, are we better off today than we were? That question you mentioned about me asking a question in the East Room, it was about, he did away with the individual mandate, how does he plan to fund, that's, a, that's the funding, uh, the individual mandate caused the funding string for the uh, uh, Affordable Care Act. How do you figure on uh, protecting pre-existing conditions and keeping premiums down if you don't have the indiv individual mandate? So, so let me ask you this. You're talking about stuff that the average voter doesn't understand, doesn't care to understand. You, you are in the weeds with this, and you're right, but to the average voter and to the swing voter, because I don't think you can reach 
I, I and maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if if you've got a way to reach the hardcore Trump uh, supporter. But for the swing voters and those people whose minds are open, what do you tell them without getting your heads in the weeds? What do you say is the most important thing to know about Donald Trump? You know what? The, his whole thing is about the economy, the greatest economy that the world had ever seen before the pandemic. And when I speak to people who have uh, voted for him, other than saying, uh, my, some of my relatives say Israel, but most of the others will say, what about the economy? And my response to them is, what about that economy? The, uh, when, when Obama inherited the uh, recession, the uh, George Bush recession, the unemployment rate was at 10%. Obama got it down to 4%. Trump got it down to 3% from 4%. Tell me about the economy. The uh, wage growth under Obama was 1.4%. Under Trump, it's 0.7%. Tell me about the economy. The tax break, 63% of the benefit went to the top 1% of income, and 83% of the benefit went to the top one-tenth of income. Are you in the one-tenth of 1% 1 top income? If you're not, tell me about the economy again. So it's a, it, you have to throw it back at them. When they throw that at you and he throws it at you, I hope Biden does a good job of throwing it back at him because he, he did not, I am not better off with the economy under Trump than I was four years ago, you know? And I'm certainly not in the top one-tenth of 1% 1 of income. What do you think, who has benefited the most under the Trump economy? The ones who benefited the most are the ultra-wealthy. That's those are the ones who are concerned. Those yeah. are the ones who were concerned about the possibility of an Elizabeth Warren uh, presidency. They were afraid of that. And so they were ready to use the socialist tag on Elizabeth Warren or just about anybody. They're going to try to do it even on Biden. But Biden is so middle of the road, it's, it's not going to stick. And that's the main difference between uh, the 2020 election and 2016. Then you had a couple things working for him. Number one, he had no record. He had no four years of Trump did. Now he does. The other thing is that people, for whatever reason, whether justified or not, they hated Hillary. They don't hate Biden. They know Biden. You can't put the phony tags uh, on him the way you did with her. And the other thing is people sat home and didn't go out to vote because they were so sure that Hillary is going to win that right. they didn't bother. This year, they know anything can happen because anything did in 2016, you know? The last question before we go to the break. If you were running the Joe Biden campaign, would you have him debate Donald Trump? I would not have him decline to a debate because that is a bad message to send. But I don't know how anxious Trump is. And if Trump doesn't move forward with the debate, I wouldn't push Biden to require it. Because Biden, like I think I mentioned somebody the other day, the prevent defense. In football, the prevent defense never works. In politics with Trump, it's working. If you just sit back and let Trump unravel, you don't need to get into the mix with him. So I would hope that they don't have any debates because I think uh, Biden has a lot more to lose than Trump does. But I wouldn't decline to debate if I'm, I'm challenged to it. Uh, because that would send a very bad message as well. I remember back in New York with uh, Keating was running uh, for Senate uh, against Bobby Kennedy, and Bobby and he was the incumbent Keating, 
Kenneth Keating and Bobby Kennedy challenged him to a debate and Keating wouldn't, uh, wouldn't come forward and debate him and he had that empty chair that Bobby Kennedy had an empty chair and he spoke to the empty chair and, and Bobby Kennedy won in a landslide. So. Well, but see, I think that's, those are different times and places. I wouldn't debate, I would, I would tell Donald Trump to go screw himself and wouldn't debate him. And I know it would call, it might cost him, but I don't think it really will because what's, I, I don't think those who are solidly for Trump are gonna leave him. And I don't think Trump can convince anybody, if he's debating an empty chair, to follow him. I, I just think that at, at the end of the day, if I were Biden, it was like, you know, you're talking about Keating and Kennedy. Both of those were sane individuals. <laughs> right. And, right. And, and, and while they had differences of opinion, not one of them were telling us to inject Clorox to cure a virus. So uh, I, I think that in this case, a sane man, and I'm, I'm not even talking about politics. I'm just talking about cogent, you know, people, sanity. If, right. if you're going to sit there and have Biden, who's a sane human being, uh, debate an insane human being, what's the upside to that? <laughs> you, got to, you make a good point. You know, make a good point on that. But uh, we'll see. I don't, I don't think Biden would uh, decline if, uh, you know, I set it up. But uh, I, I do think that uh, he has a lot more to lose than, uh, than Trump does with his debate. All right, we're going to take a short break. I'm sorry. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me is author uh, and former federal employee and columnist, Paul Schwartz. And Paul, I really appreciate you being here. Fascinating conversation as far as I'm concerned. Here's a question I have for you going forward. Um, if you were Joe Biden and you won the election, what are the first three things you should do? Well, the, get into the, office. The, Besides dropping to your knees and thanking God. <laughs> the, the first thing I would do is fumigate the White House. That was to be number one on my list. But the and and it, it's actually that's a serious uh, uh, point because you got to get rid of everyone in uh, in his administration. You got to clean house right away and bring in the experienced people that you have that were in the Obama administration, that even in the Clinton administration, even in the Bush administration, to bring in experienced people to undo the undoing that Trump did. So, it, you know, join, rejoining the, uh, the Climate Accord. Uh, there's so many things. Working on getting that public uh, uh, option for Obamacare. These are all critical things. Healthcare is a critical issue for everyone. It's amazing that during a pandemic, uh, uh, Trump is still trying to get rid of Obamacare. Now it's more important than ever. But so I would go for the healthcare with the uh, uh, public option. I would, uh, the climate is, is critical to rejoin the rest of the community and to rebuild those alliances with our, with our allies. You know, that the, the damage that, that Trump has done is both domestic and foreign. And uh, you gotta start rebuilding that because we're gonna need that to go forward. Just to reclaim our stage on the international, uh, uh, of international importance. First action, day one, what's the first thing you do? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the the focus has to be on the healthcare. That's that's the number one thing. That's the first one thing the, you do is is yeah. healthcare. Right, right. Because I, I think that is the thing that resonates with most of the people. 
all right? That, you know, if you go to any of these uh, fo uh, forums, they're all up in arms about the, the healthcare. And then so, they, so working on that, but like I say, uh, reinstituting those uh, alliances with uh, our allies, uh, you know, the international allies, that's critical too, to, to get their, our credibility back. It's all about rebuilding credibility. We ha we're a laughing stock right now. For the first time in my life, I'm embarrassed about uh, what's going on with my country. So he's got to redo that. So it's not just like one thing. Uh, healthcare is one, uh, climate change is one, uh, the foreign uh, alliances are one. Uh, so, I mean, there's a whole slew of things. He, he doesn't have to do it in order. He's got to get the ball rolling on all of these issues because it's important. The reason why he's the, the right candidate for the time is because he can go in from day one and start fixing things based on his experience and then groom someone else to take over in four years. I don't think he's going to be running again when he's 82 years old. No. But at least if you could fix the damage that this guy, Trump, has done in his four years, you get the ball rolling so that you can hand it over to somebody in four years. Do you think that we can undo in four years what Trump has done in three and a half? You have to start the process. It'll take time. I'll tell you this, though. If, if we give Trump just one term, then we could point to it saying it was an anomaly. That's not who we are. We took a gamble. It was an experiment, and the experiment failed. But when you uh, keep the, uh, the experiment going, even after you know it, it failed, you're just compounding the failure. If we get him out after uh, four years, then we can move forward. If we give him another four years, then that defines who we are. And that is going to be impossible to come back from. And one of the other th first things I would do is, as soon as he becomes president January 20th, Biden, is that's when Ginsburg and uh, uh, Stephen Breyer will probably uh, retire. And uh, he's got to replace those uh, uh, Supreme Court justices to keep that uh, as close to a balance as possible. Yeah, I say a prayer for Ruth Bader Ginsburg every night. Every day. She's one tough cookie, too. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you don't find them tougher. You don't. <laughs> she ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Where do you think the biggest failure for now? We, we talked about what his biggest con has been, but what is Trump's biggest failure as president? I, I think that it's, it's twofold. Uh, it's the, the uh, economy, again, how it focused really just on the well-to-do and not on everyone else. That's major. Weakening the Affordable Care Act is major. But really, from a, a, a more important standpoint, might be the, the foreign policy issues, all right? We are now not, we're not safer now than we were four years ago. And that's key. And to alienate our allies and try to you know, uh, cater to our, to our enemies, that, that impeachment hearing was critical. Yes, nobody thought that the Senate was going to uh, kick him out to get two thirds of a vote. But I still thought it was important to expose the damage he, he did. The, the best of all the witnesses, I thought the most important was Bill Taylor, right? Because wow. Bill Taylor pointed out that uh, since Hitler took, uh, annexed Poland, there hasn't been a case since world end of World War II where a country took over another uh, country's territory until Russia did it to Crimea. And that is all woven in 
to why you need a strong alliances out there. And I know it, it happened in 2015, not under Trump, but it, it pointed out why you need the strong alliances uh, with our allies, while why NATO is so critical, all right? And, uh, and why the Ukraine was critical as well, to at least give them the, uh, the support they needed to prevent more territory from going over back over to Russia. Because uh, they, you know, once they took over Crimea, there was, unless we supported uh, Ukraine, there was no way uh, they could prevent Russia from infiltrating even more. So for him to use that as a bar, the, the funds as a bargaining chip to get dirt on his opponent, uh, that was so appalling. And at least it came out uh, to the public, to the voters. What I would have hoped is that they had not just two articles of impeachment, but three, because I would have hoped that they included the uh, Mueller part, at least on the uh, uh, obstruction, so that at least you can, it, it wasn't about uh, getting him kicked out, it was about getting all that out, to explaining it to the voters so they understood what actually transpired so they wouldn't be uh, conned, again, to use that term, into believing that there was no obstruction and no collusion, which there was. At your time in the White House, did you ever have anyone, well, I hate to put it that way, but how often did you have members of the White House staff tell you the truth? I don't think <laughs> there was ever an instant where there wasn't a spin, all right? It was, like I said, there was one thing, but yeah, I, and I get you. I mean, it, as Larry Speaks said, you know, or as <laughs> Sam Donaldson said, their job is to put the best foot forward, and our job is to find out the truth. But I have a damn hard time finding times when they've actually ever told me the truth. I swear if I, you know, if, if they told me the sun rose in the east, I'd check to make sure. Well, in the press room itself, there were times when some of the speakers uh, would, I, I felt, were, I, being honest. As far as the press secretaries, no. I, I didn't really find them ever answering a question straight. So whether they... They spun it or just lied. Uh, I didn't really get the the truth out of them, or I didn't feel that that was forthcoming. Yeah, I agree. What do you think the biggest improvement needs to be made in the White House? That is an excellent question, and I do have an idea about that one. What this president did was demonstrate that we couldn't just rely on all of the existing protocols and and rules and that have been uh, applied all the time, even something like the tax returns. Right? The other presidents did it. It came with the territory. This one says, you know what? It, he used his business model. His business model was, I don't have to pay you, even though there's a contract, if you want to take me to court and you win one thing, right. it's not going to be easy for you. So what, in other words, whatever he can get away with, he gets away with. And that's why another thing, you know, as a former Fed, just the uh, the uh, cl uh, clearance procedures. The uh, I, I had a uh, top secret uh, SCI security clearance, right? And I had to go through an extensive uh, uh, background check for these to be handed out. And the reason for that background check is to make sure you don't have any uh, uh, you know issues with with finances, overseas connections, whatnot for him to hand it out without any of those protocols. So in answer to your question, what I would say is there has to be legislation that would have to be uh, put forward from the White House to the Congress 
to build in a lot of these protocols and make them law that uh, when you are when you're running for president, these are things you have to do. When you are president, these are things that come with the job and not risk having someone like uh, Trump who just puts his nose up in the air and says, I don't have to do it. Like of trying to uh, hold up the, uh, the beans, the Goya beans right. from the Resolute desk. That is so offensive to a, a lifelong Fed, all right? I couldn't get away with that. Right. I had to hatch out and other things that would limit us. Just keeping my security clearance would prevent me from doing something like that. You know, or Turnberry having uh, Woody Johnson from the Jets. All right. Uh, go and try to get uh, the a British Open to uh, be in Turnberry at his golf club in Scotland. I mean, that is so offensive, but he could do it because he's getting away with it. And, and so there has to be rules in place. You can't rely on an impeachment. You can't rely on a uh, Republican uh, Senate. You have to have some of these rules uh, put in place so that the next person who's in the White House knows you can't do some of these things. Those ethic rules have to be ethic laws. And, and uh, if you break those laws, then, then there's more grounds for an impeachment. Yeah, we'll see. We're gonna take another short break and then we'll be right back. And we're back with author Paul Schwartz and Paul. I we're gonna, you know, we're wrapping it up here after about 45 minutes of having fun. But uh, the the big question I have for you in this segment is, what do you like best about President Trump? What in your book do you uh, point out anything that you support or that you've liked about him? This is the the one positive I can get. Remember when uh, Hillary was asked that question, she said his children. Uh, I think she would probably take that back now. Yeah. I'm not going to say his children. What I am going to say is that this present, this experience, we had this, ex uh, this, this uh, experiment with democracy from 1776 on, especially from 1787 on with the Constitution. Right. right. This is the first time that people have, that he, through Trump's actions and inactions, brought awareness to the fact that, you know what, you have to want to keep your democracy if you're going to keep your democracy, all right? And that means everyone has to appreciate what we have. We, we are a, uh, a country of laws. You, you got to be involved. It, it, absolutely. But you also have to recognize that if we are a country of laws and not of men, that all of these actions that he's taken is for a country of, of a man, not of laws. And so I think he, what he, the positive is he brought awareness to that this is not such an easy thing to keep unless you really put your, your heart and soul into wanting to keep it. And that's why you have people showing up to vote in Wisconsin, no matter how many hours they had to wait. And you have people protesting across the country. I'm not for the looting, all right? Um, that's, that's, that's wrong. But the peaceful protesters, they're doing that because they feel strongly. The protests that occurred the day after the inauguration, the Women's March, that was the start of it all, all right? So they care. You're saying Donald Trump is right. He's uniting the whole country. In one way, yes. As he's dividing it, he's uniting it. Yeah, he's uniting it against him. That's yeah. <laughs> any of his policies that you like? You know, I, I sometimes I wonder if, my thinking is just slanted where no matter what he does, I'll find fault. 
but I can't really find anything that I felt uh, was beneficial to the to the constituency, the citizenry. I mean, he talks about the, the economy all the time, but if you look at all of the regulations that he eliminated, that doesn't make me feel better, you know, when you're talking about clean air and clean water and thing, all those environmental regulations that he eliminated. So I really can't point to anything. He points to eliminating regulations as a way he was able to get uh, improve the economy. I don't think that's an improvement. Well, I don't think walking away from the Iran deal was an improvement. Uh, yeah, I don't trust Iran, but I felt that at least we did have inspectors there. There was more chance of them not building a, uh, a nuclear uh, weapon uh, in today than there, were, than there is now with, with Trump. So yeah. I, I really can't. I would be well, what really do you stretching it if I, if I pick something. Got it. What he did with regulations was let the robber barons run free. That's what that did. Right. And so it does improve the economy marginally right. for a while, and then it becomes in, enslavement. You become entered servants to the, the robber barons, which is right. why Teddy Roosevelt, you know, went after large corporations and trust busting. That I get. But what about there are two things that I think that he has done well, and I'll, I, I, or at least hasn't done bad. I think the Second Chance Act for, for felons is a, is a good thing. Um, I'll agree with that. Yeah. And, and I do like investing money in uh, NASA, although I, I'm not a fan of Space Force, but I do think exploration of the moon and Mars is, is a wonderful thing. And I support that whoever does it. But the rest of it, I mean, he's destroyed the environment. He's destroyed our reputation, uh, both foreign and domestically. He's divided the country. There are people, there are QAnon supporters who are out, well, you know, these people are conspiracy nuts and he's brought him into the mainstream and I maintain that all of that began with Ronald Reagan and that from Ronald Reagan on Ronald Reagan set the table and Donald Trump sat at it right and well, that you know I, I certainly agree with you on those two points that you raised but I, I look at it as those are so small uh, within the whole scope of things that it gets lost and so if it doesn't come to mind right away it's because it's so uh, overwhelmed by all the negative, it's hard to even remember some of the positive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. <laughs> so, so going forward, what would you like to, as we wrap up today, going forward, what uh, what are your plans? Are you, you are we going to see you on uh, Bill Maher? Hey, I hope after after this uh, podcast, and hopefully he'll see it. Who knows? <laughs> I'm ready to go. The uh, a publisher did send out the uh, press release to like over a thousand media outlets, and we'll see where it goes from there. But I really appreciate being able to share my thoughts uh, with you, Brian. And, well, I uh, you being here because you do have a fascinating uh, uh, viewpoint, and it's one that we you know we need to listen to more. People who've actually worked in the federal government and right. know and are cogent and can write. All of that is you. You have a remarkable. Uh, point of view and I think more people should hear it so uh, I appreciate you being here today and I hope you come back I will thanks so much Brian thank you very much the name of the show is just ask the question I am your host Brian Karam and thanks for joining us we'll catch you next time